Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <coughs> For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. For today's episode of the podcast, we're showing our support for the NYC COVID Care Network. If you or your family member is an essential worker, get free support from a volunteer mental, emotional, or spiritual care professional. Go to nyccovidcare.org for more information and to sign up as a volunteer. Find the link in the episode notes. Hey everyone, Mesh here from Talk Money. Welcome back to The Price of a Pandemic, our series where we discuss the economy, business, markets, and investing, and how they're being affected by the coronavirus. Given this is a show about money, I'm a believer in looking at how financial and social changes can affect industries across the board. We know that essential workers are still out there on the front lines, whether they're in hospitals treating patients, in grocery stores keeping households stocked, or in restaurants keeping small businesses afloat. In today's episode, we're discussing the people who get us through times like this, when anxieties are high, safe spaces are compromised, and resources feel limited. In times like these, mental health is essential, and mental health professionals are out there providing care for those of us that need it, from meditation on our phones to therapy for physicians on the front lines. And with technology, this kind of help has become more accessible than ever. My guest today is a psychologist who has worked both in private practice and public care, and she also happens to be my wife. Please welcome Dr. Angela Aznavorian. My name is Angela Aznavorian, and I'm a clinical psychologist here in New York City. Outside of my private practice, I also work as a staff therapist at the State University of New York Downstate Medical Center here in Brooklyn, SUNY. And how is it that we know each other? Funny story husband. Uh, we met going on eight years ago when you stumbled into a restaurant bar and wouldn't leave me alone until I gave you my phone number. And now we're married. That's uh, I think that's a pretty accurate description. So Angela, tell us, how long have you been a therapist? I have been a therapist for going on about 10 years now. I graduated in 2011 with my doctorate in Chicago. And from start to finish, how long did it take you to get your PsyD? So my program itself was a five to seven year program. I finished in five and I did my master's and my doctorate during that time. That's amazing. Thanks. One smart cookie. (laughs) So Angela, to just give context to the audience, can you walk us through how a therapist's private practice works? You pay rent, you charge hourly, you pay for insurance. I think it'd just be helpful to understand how the business itself works. Sure. For private practice itself, we have an office space. So whether that means you rent the entire space yourself, or maybe you have just a office space within a larger suite of other offices so that clients can come in and meet with you. We charge by the hour or the time frame in which you're meeting with the client. We do have our outside time that we take to do our paperwork, whether that means you know our notes for the client sessions, if I'm doing a custody evaluation, if we're doing neuropsychological testing, all of that is note taking or report writing time that we do. In terms of insurance, if a clinician takes insurance, then there are submission time with insurance companies. Some people, you know, hire a administrator to do some of that work for them. Or now there's obviously a lot of online tools that you can use to do online submission yourself. So that's also time, though, to take into account. And so it's fair to say that a lot goes into one session with one person. 
besides just the 45 or 60 minutes that you're with that person? Absolutely. I think it depends on the client. I think it depends on the presenting concerns. I think it depends on the evaluation or it depends on what exactly you're doing with that client will dictate how much time you're spending with the client and outside of the client. So Angela, now that we're dealing with coronavirus, what has changed for you as a therapist? I think a lot has changed, especially because I had never done telehealth before this. I've kind of always been a little bit outside looking in in that department. So for me, I've had to kind of relearn a whole new system, which we've had education around it, but to actually be immersed within it and have to jump in almost in a crisis time to practice within it has been a little bit of a shift for me. And when you say telehealth, you mean talking to people virtually? Yeah, so technology-assisted counseling is how it used to be termed, and now telemedicine is kind of the more grander context because that also means your general physician, for example, or other types of practitioners. It's not just psychologists. And when you say that it's taken some time for you to get used to, it's because you are used to doing sessions in person. Yeah, I'm kind of more of that brick-and-mortar office type therapist versus having the online atmosphere. It was never really a thing that I had offered. I didn't necessarily have to with my clientele. But now working for SUNY, given the medical students and that we are personally self-quarantining, I've been forced to take on this new role as a telemedicine practitioner. And that means that your sessions are now either through Zoom or FaceTime. Is that correct? Correct. When you're doing sessions now with your clients, What are people mostly spending the time talking about? So I just want to be clear to the clients I can give you examples from are going to be the medical students I work with, because right now I've not been seeing any private practice clients just to focus my time, particularly on the medical students who are on the front lines. So clearly they're going through something pretty traumatic right now. Can you help paint a picture of what it is? During a crisis like COVID-19, it's common for everyone to experience you know, levels of distress, anxiety, particularly as a result of social isolation, for example. Um, But physicians and other healthcare professionals are particularly vulnerable to mental health effects as they try to balance the duty of caring for their patients, the overwhelming work and information overload that they're getting on a daily basis, the insufficient personal protective equipment that is necessary to perform their jobs and medical devices needed to care for patients. All of these stressors, coupled with the concerns of their own well-being, the well-being of their family and their friends. So mental health right now for them is of extreme importance. And where do they find the time to take care of themselves like they typically could on a day-to-day, you know, during a time of such pandemic? And just like everyone else, everybody has anxiety. I mean, these folks are dealing with not only death and not only severe sickness, they're dealing with being away from their family and also putting themselves at risk. They're having a ton of stress that you with other therapists are helping treat. Correct. Absolutely. And so before you started doing telehealth with your students, you weren't exactly 100% on board with telehealth. Why is that? You know, telehealth or telemedicine in itself can open the doors for treatment in so many ways. But to me, it just doesn't give me the same feel. For therapy, I believe there's a lot to be said about a face-to-face relationship, the structure of a physical time and place that a session provides a client, the ability to see and hear all their verbal and nonverbal communications, the ability to 
or I should say the inability to always control, you know, if you're doing telemedicine, the environment, whether that be phone calls coming in, if you have a dog at home that's barking, um, a bad Wi-Fi connection, there's elements to telehealth that I hadn't always understood. Um, and I necessarily didn't have to because there wasn't a time of crisis that it was something I had to do. And has it made it easier for people without regular access to mental health to get access now? Yeah, so telehealth has many benefits, and it always has. I think we started to see it being used in the 1950s, but over the last, I want to say, five to ten years, it's grown exponentially. You know, in psychology, in my field specifically, it's improved access to care for individuals living in remote locations, for example, in underserved areas. There's a lot of clients that, let's say, can't leave their home due to illness, whether that's a medical issue or a mental health issue or even people that don't have mobility to get to, you know, a brick and mortar office, that type of thing. But if we want to go, you know, and look at COVID, for example, right now, telehealth has been amazing for people to get access to care. It's interesting to see how the system is being flexible on its general regulations. For example, just recently, the Department of Health and Human Services made an extraordinary announcement that is allowing video chat apps like FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, Google Hangouts, all of these ones that typically aren't HIPAA compliant to be used for different medical consultations given the extreme need for people to get access to care. So with that flexibility, it'll be interesting to see how all of these practitioners are using telehealth and how maybe some of these guidelines that we've had to really follow might change. I love the idea that regulation would be more open to giving people more access and using technology for one, people who don't have access to brick and mortars or maybe don't have access physically to mental health professionals. So it's exciting to know that the best folks out there that can provide care can reach out to really anybody. And given the time that we're in right now, any tips and practices for people out there to reduce anxiety? What kind of self-care do you find most effective that you can practice staying at home? You know, as I said earlier, it's common for everyone to experience increased levels of distress. And I think everyone's emotions will be experienced differently. Different levels of anxiety, different levels of possibly sadness, maybe some sleep issues, Um, particularly because we're all socially isolated and we're really worrying about what's going to happen with this pandemic, whether it's to ourselves, with our loved ones. Taking care of ourselves is super important right now. And I can't stress self-care enough. I know it's an overused word. But reaching out to your current therapist, if you actually have one, and seeing what your options are for telehealth, that type of communication ability. There's apps that everyone can download that are really helpful. Headspace, for example, or Calm, or these mindfulness and guided meditation apps, just to kind of help reduce some anxiety, help us get to sleep a little bit easier. You know, getting enough rest is super important. Finding respite time during your work schedule is really important. We're working from home now, so we're taking our work environment and our work stress and we're kind of putting it in our safe space. Engaging in physical activity. I know that's really hard, especially when we're supposed to be socially isolating in our homes, but just stay moving, keep our body engaged. And most importantly, too, I think, is taking breaks from social media that we look at on a daily basis and the news. As much as we want to keep informed, there's also, I think, limits to that. And also just stay in contact as much as we can with family and friends, you know, just to kind of stay connected with our loved ones, I think is super, super important. Angela, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And uh, we'll see you in five seconds. Thank you. You know you're in new territory when isolation is the healthiest thing you can do. 
So while we wait for things to change and for life to feel safe again, we have to take care of ourselves, physically and mentally. A crisis like this reminds us of the importance of mental health professionals, as well as the technology that lets us access them. And we'll see when new business models emerge from all this, so that everyone has affordable access to mental health care, from professionals who are well-trained and fairly compensated. In the meantime, we can take advantage of meditation platforms, many of which appear to be offering their services for free during these trying times. See you next week, and be safe. I want to thank my guest and wife, Angela Aznavorian, for her time and for being such an incredible partner during all of this. This episode was edited and produced by Olivia Briley and engineered by Maya Terrell. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com for further deep dives and to hear other episodes. We appreciate if you'd share this with your friends and subscribing to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Until next time.